Welcome to Mosaic Church, and thank you for joining us here online. To prepare for today's message, we encourage you to utilize the Mosaic Cincinnati app. There, you can view the message notes, put in prayer requests, and so much more. Enjoy the message. Open up your Bibles to the book of Philippians. Philippians, and hey, we're going to be there all month long for the next four weeks, and so we're going to dig in and, and see what God has to say to us through this amazing letter. Uh, just a couple things. Um, it was written uh, by Paul with Timothy, and so kind of kind of co-authored. It was mainly Paul, but but Timothy was definitely there helping him as Paul was mentoring Timothy. It was written in the in the city of Rome, uh, which is a city that is still there today, Rome, Italy. And so, but Paul was under house arrest in Rome at the time when he was written, and and it was written just a couple years before Paul became a martyr for the faith. All right? Around year 62 AD. And why was it written? And this is why we are parking in the book of Philippians for the month. And I think this is something that we need to get in our hearts. We need to get in our minds. We need to really grasp hold of. Because this, this letter was written to encourage believers, and hopefully that's you, and if it's not you, man, I pray that you cross over that threshold today to put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Because when we put our faith and trust in Christ, we can find Christ-centered, spirit-empowered joy. Joy. This series, it's all about your life and my life being full of joy. Not just an adjective like, oh, I'm a joyful person. And, and when we say things like that, we're like, oh, they, they smile a lot. Or they're just always chipper. Or, or, you know, oh, they're just, they're so much fun to be around. No, full of joy from the inside out. Not just the smile you put on the outside, not just what everybody else sees, but really deep down in the depths of your soul, how do we find Christ-empowered joy in our life? There's so much disappointment, discouragement, pessimism, doomsday journalism, real-life suffering in our world, and it's really hard to watch. On the other hand, we love drama. Anybody know somebody like that, that if there's not drama going on in their life, uh, they just create some just to mix it up a little bit? Come on, be honest. Does anybody know anybody like that? It's like they can't live without just a little bit of a drama and a little bit of tension in their life. We're so hopped up on action films and soap operas, and, and that soap operas are kind of the thing that, that if you're into them, you never tell anybody that you're into them. It's kind of like that, that secret thing. And, but, but we are dramas, all, all the movies, all the shows, and it's like, man, sometimes we just feel like, oh, I just gotta get my fix, my Netflix fix. <laughs> yeah, you, you're not because it's true. Because we just love the tension, we love the drama. And sometimes it's, it's almost like we need a little bit of that drama in our real life just to feel whole. But the thing that we don't understand is that the real life problems take a huge toll in our heart and in our life that initially we don't see. And so when we compound the really tough stuff happening in our world that we see on the news all the time, the, the workplace tension, the relational tension sometimes that you have with your spouse or your family members, and there's just all this junk, and then you combine it with the steady diet of drama that you take in for entertainment. You know what can happen? Beneath the surface, we begin to develop a hard heart. A hard heart. 
We become desensitized. We begin to see the, the problems in this world and the problems in our friend's life and the problems in our life, and it doesn't even move the needle anymore. And so not only do we not feel a sense of compassion and not, not only do we not feel a sense of, 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 of uh, you know, just dis-ease based on what's going on in the world, we don't feel the other side. We don't feel the joy either. And this message and this book is not just about what you feel, and so don't get me wrong. But in the book of Philippians, we see a different approach. We see a completely different approach, and that's what we want to park on this month. Joy is really the theme. And it wasn't that Paul's life and his times were easier or more, had a more cheery outlook than our times. On the contrary, Paul experienced real persecution. He was in prison under house arrest at the time when this book was written. He had experienced beatings, stonings, real threats. And in the generations that surrounded him, there were real martyrs paying the ultimate price just for believing in and speaking out the name of Jesus Christ. And in the midst of all this, we see a letter filled with encouragement, filled with positivity, filled with a higher perspective. And so the goal this month isn't to just ignore, to put our head in the sands and ignore what's going on around us and to just achieve some higher level of consciousness or enlightenment or you know, anything new agey like that. No, the goal is to learn how to find Christ-centered, spirit-empowered joy in the midst of all circumstances. And it doesn't happen with just a small change in our life. It doesn't happen with just, oh, I'm just going to think good thoughts and everything is going to be fine. No, it's, it's much deeper than that. And we're going to dig in the, these next few weeks. And so the first place that you and I can find real life, Christ-centered, spirit-empowered joy is in community. And that's the topic for today. And so if you want to open up uh, the notes on your app or, or grab that sheet on a chair next to you and, and, and fill in the blanks as we go along today. Let's do this together. We're going to read through the whole book as we go today and so, or the whole chapter. And so verse one, let's read together. This letter is from Paul and Timothy, slaves of Christ Jesus. I'm writing to all God's holy people in Philippi who belong to Christ Jesus, including the church leaders and deacons. May God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. Now, at first glance, this could just seem like a standard greeting, especially if you've read the other epistles, which are letters that, that, that were written to churches by apostles. And so, at first glance, it's like, okay, he's just introducing himself. But there's more to it than that. And so the first point that I want you to understand today is that a joyful life is found in community. A joyful life is found in community. Write that down. Think about that. You see, the first thing we see from this, this introduction is that Paul is in a mentoring relationship with Timothy. He's not doing ministry alone. He's not just, you know, solo writing this letter. There were some letters that he wrote, you know, by himself, not this one. This one, he's taken on an apprentice. He's taken on a, a mentee, and he is mentoring him. It's most likely that this book was written primarily by Paul because there's a lot of first-person talk and the grammar used. But the important part is that he did not do it alone. Listen, 
I'm here today, standing up here preaching to you, sharing God's word with you today. I'm here today because of faithful mentors in my life. I didn't ask them to be my mentor. It's not like I walked up and said, will you mentor me? No. I showed up and I said, what needs to be done? And I got to work. I did whatever I could to be close to them and to learn from them and to watch them and to try to add value every day. I did whatever job needed to be done. That's why, you know, I I told somebody recently, I've got a master's degree in stacking and moving chairs and tables. Come on, somebody. And why? Because I wanted to do whatever I had to do to get close to people that I could learn from and that could mentor me and speak into my life. And so I did whatever job needed to be done. They did what only they could do as a mentor, which was share their experience, right? I wanted to learn from their experience so I didn't have to go through all the bad experiences myself. And over many, many years, I was given the privilege of more leadership responsibility as I grew and I learned. And so I wanna encourage you, Just like we see right from the get-go, don't do your Christian walk alone. Don't try to follow Jesus by yourself. Get somebody in your life that is speaking into your life, that is pushing you along, that is stretching you, that is sometimes making you just a little bit uncomfortable, that's challenging your ideas, that's asking you, why do you do that? Why do you do it like that? Why did you say that? And helping you become more like Christ Jesus. Plant yourself in a church body, do what needs to be done and count it a privilege. And above all, just be faithful, be faithful. And so right off the bat, we see that, that Paul is not doing it by himself and he's, he's speaking to a church, to God's holy people. But he's not just writing to a church, but he's writing to one, go back to the verse there for, for a second. He's writing to one with leadership structure. It's a healthy church. He's writing to God's all, all of God's holy people in Philippi who belong to Christ Jesus, including the leaders and the deacons. Another thing that you notice is he didn't have to state his title. In so many other letters that Paul wrote, he said, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus. In this one, he doesn't say he's an apostle. You look what he says. He says, I'm a slave. So he didn't even have to state that he was apostle to the Philippians because relationship was already inferred. These were people that he had done life with, that he had brought to Christ. They had a very good relationship. It wasn't a top-down relationship, but it was one of mutual respect and health. Listen, I believe with all of my heart, all of my heart, that the Christ-centered church is still the hope of the world. I believe with all of my heart that we still need each other, that God still uses this structure called the church. You know, there's so many people these days that are just down on organized religion. And I'll be the first to say that there are some forms of organized religion and man-made structures that just really make things complicated. But at its core, at its core, When people come together and there's godly leadership and there's spirit-empowered vision and there's people that want to lay down their lives for the cause of Christ and they link arms to do something together, that is always a good thing because it's lifting up Jesus Christ. Christ Christ-centered church. Still the hope of the world. 
It's also, I believe, one of the prerequisites to leading a life full of joy. You've got to be an active part in the family of God, just like we see in just these first couple verses. You may push back. You may have been hurt in church. I've been hurt too. And and we'll see an example of a relational dispute in this very book that talks so much about joy. But that doesn't change the fact that God made you to be a part of a community of believers. And with God's grace, that can be a healthy thing that brings you life and brings you joy. Because Jesus never meant for you to walk through life and your relationship with him on your own. This is not a solo sport. It's not just a one-man act. You are here to be a part of the family of God. What did Paul say? He said, that he and Timothy were slaves of Christ. They had brought their lives under the submission of Christ. And the people belonged to Christ Jesus. And so both the leader and both the people in the church had submitted their lives to Christ Jesus and they came together as a community. Listen, people will let you down. People will hurt you. But it's because you follow Jesus that you forgive, that you continue to live in community, that you show grace, that you have spiritual authorities and mentors in your life, and that you continue to serve his church, not because you follow a certain individual. Man, if you came here to follow Pastor Joe this morning, you might as well you know, try to find someplace else. Because you're not here to follow me, you're here to follow Jesus. I provide a form of leadership, but it's only by the grace of God, and it's only as long as God keeps that that mantle of leadership on my life. It's not about me. It's not about me. We follow Jesus. People come and go. Newsflash, I will not always be the pastor of this church but this church will remain. Come on, somebody. The church of Jesus Christ is something to be a part of that is eternal. Jesus is going to come back for his church. That's you and me. It's not this building. It's us banding together to follow Jesus. And so you want to experience true joy in your life? Be a part of a local church community. Verse three through seven. Every time I think of you, I give thanks to my God. Whenever I pray, I make my requests for all of you with joy. With joy. For you have been my partners in spreading the good news about Christ from the time you first heard it until now. And I'm certain that God who began the good work within you will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. Man, that's a good one. That's one of those that you memorize, you make a life first. So it is right that I should feel as I do about all of you, for you have a special place in my heart. Do you, do you feel the camaraderie, the brotherhood, the sisterhood, that they're together? You share with me the special favor of God both in my imprisonment and in defending and confirming the truth of the good news. God knows how much I love you and long for you with the tender compassion of Christ Jesus. I pray that your love will overflow more and more and that you will keep on growing. Man, underline that. That's good stuff. In knowledge and understanding. For I want you to understand what really matters. 
I want you to understand what really matters. So that you may live pure and blameless lives until the day of Christ's return. May you always be filled with the fruit of your salvation, the righteous character produced in your life by Jesus Christ, for this will bring much glory and praise to God. Wow. Where do we start? We're going to start with number two, that a joyful life is sustained through shared mission. You see, what I read, what I read these last few verses is that the tie that kept them together, the tie that binded them, was a shared mission. Paul is full of joy, and there's joy pouring out of his life because he has partners in the mission. Following Jesus is hard. Telling other people about about Christ is hard. But you know what? When you've got a friend, when you've got somebody going in the same direction, when you've got a partner in life with you in ministry that is linking arms with you, that is gonna be with you every single step of the way, it makes it so much better. And that's the joy that we see reflected in Paul's words here. It's one thing to have companions in life. It's one thing to have friends. It's a whole nother thing entirely to have companions who are arm in arm with you on mission. Some of you have never experienced that before. You've had best friends, you've had you know, acquaintances, you've had even people in your life that, man, you thought they would never leave you. And I just wanna tell you that if you have not brought the mission of Christ into that friendship, if you don't have friendships in which the mission that God has given us is right smack dab in the center, you are missing out on so much joy that you could have in your life. You're missing out. Because the mission that Christ has given us is something that when shared in between believers who are following Christ brings more joy to your life than anything else. How do I know? I've experienced it. The mission makes your relationship outward focused. You you see, because when a relationship is outward focused, there's less room for interpersonal drama. And there's more life. Jesus came to give us life and life to the full. And so when you take your needs, obviously we all want to care for ourselves. But when we take our needs as the primary thing and we set them aside, and when your friend who is on mission with you takes their needs and they set them aside, and you put your lives together and say, what can we do for Jesus? There's a joy that is experienced in that partnership that you cannot experience anywhere else. I'm just telling you. Why? Because the mission outweighs the need for self-validation. Does this mean that your feelings don't matter? No, your feelings matter. Does this give us a license to be a jerk? No, it just means that we're preoccupied with more important things and small offenses don't stick as much. How many of you want some of that in your life? Come on now, less drama. Less of the stuff that doesn't matter. More of our life being focused on the things that really, really matter. What did Paul say? He said, for I want you to understand what really matters in life. What really matters. Most of the time, honestly, as a pastor, and man, I I love you and, and I'm here for you as much as I possibly can be. But most of the time I hear about people's problems. And I want to hear. I want to know how I could pray. I want to know how I could be there for you. 
Man, that's why we share prayer needs in life groups, and that's why we care for each other, and we're there for each other. But if we let him, God wants to orient our lives around even bigger things. God is working in you, and he's not going to stop. He's working in you. And so when I understand what that work looks like, that it's, a, that it's mission focused, that it's outward focused, that it's other people oriented, when I understand what really matters in life, my life glorifies God, I live like God wants, and Jesus is working in and through me. Sometimes we get tired, sometimes we don't feel like it, feel, feel it, but God is still working, and God's purpose in you is connected to our purpose together, Right? And if there's one thing that I see as a pastor is there's way too much individual comings and goings and way too little working together to further the mission that Christ has given us. It's like we show up on the weekend just for a quick check-in. We get our worship fix. We get our word fix. But during the week, there's not a lot of partnership together with each other to fulfill the mission of Christ. Do you ever notice that? So maybe you begin to think, who can I lock arms with? Who can I pray with? Who can I share my dreams and visions with? Who can I, who can I get together so that we can build joy in our life around the mission that Christ has given us to reach the whole world for him? Amen. Verses 12 through 19. And I want you to know, my dear brothers and sisters, that everything that has happened to me here has helped to spread the good news. What had happened to him there? He'd gotten put in prison. He'd been preaching. He didn't stop. So what'd they do? They locked him up. For everyone here, including the whole palace guard, knows that I am in chains because of Christ. And because of my imprisonment, most of the believers here have gained confidence and boldly speak God's message without fear. It's true that some are preaching out of jealousy and rivalry, but others preach about Christ with pure motives. They preach because they love me, for they know I've been appointed to defend the good news. Those others do, do not have pure motives as they preach about Christ. They preach with selfish ambition, not sincerely, intending to make my chains more painful to me. But that doesn't matter. Underline that, but that doesn't matter. <laughs> because that's, that's one of the best things. Is if you want to have real joy in your life, you got to know what matters and what doesn't matter. And then listen to what he says next. Whether their motives are false or genuine, the message about Christ is being preached either way. So I rejoice, and I will continue to rejoice, for I know that as you pray for me, and the Spirit of Jesus Christ helps me, this will lead to my deliverance. Wow. What do we see through that? Number three, we see that a joyful life has a perspective that fuels endurance. Do you have a perspective that fuels endurance or do you have a perspective that is always concentrated on the problems? Paul was aware of the problems. He knew that, man, there were some, some good eggs in the basket and there were some rotten eggs in the basket. There were some people doing it right that had pure motives and there were some people that were not doing it right with pure motives in the church. And, and, and you know, that's easy to be, get distracted by. Some of us, we come to church and we're like, I just wish I could come to church and there weren't so many people that were such hypocrites. There weren't people that were so distracting. And, you know, I just see, I'm distracted by everything that everybody does. 
I hear, I hear this kind of stuff all the time. And you know what? I don't blame you because it distracts me too. I get distracted by goofy people. Those extra grace required people in our lives. And Paul knew what that was like as well. But instead of letting it discourage him when he's sitting in prison, he's preaching in prison. Instead of letting him, it discourage him, he had a perspective that said, I don't care if their motives are false or genuine. Christ is still being preached, and I'm going to rejoice, and I'm going to continue to rejoice. Amen? He had a different outlook on things. So a couple things. Your outlook and your perspective can give you joy because it helps you weather the storms. Some of you, you're going through a time in life and you're like, God, why did I deserve this? Why did I deserve it? And it's just tough. Whether it's a health thing or a relational thing or a, or a financial thing and you're just like, why in the world am I here where I'm at? Paul could have asked the same question in prison. But instead of getting all down in the dumps, he's like, hey, I'm going to continue to fulfill the mission right here where I'm at. I'm going to have joy regardless because when you have a higher reason for being, it helps you weather the storms in life. You can also have a higher reason for being which helps you take the high road in your relationships. Man, this is, a, this is something that steals our joy all the time. Instead of taking the high road in our relationships, we get down in the weeds. We get in the he said, she said. We get in the, in the just, just the, just we stew about it. Right? We do all the time. We get into the drama. Paul, he rose above it. He took the high road. He took the high road. Why is that? Because we see things completely different when the gospel is our highest goal. We forgive more easily. You see, Paul was able to see imposters with a different lens. We process hurt and loss and circumstance differently. It purifies our motives when we put the gospel first, the gospel and its mission. Listen, you say, Joe, well, I just can't, I can't forget what they did to me. I can't forget, you know, all this junk going on around me. It's just so hard. I can't forget it. Aren't you thankful that when Jesus was spit and spit on and beat and persecuted and drugged before a, a council that when he had done nothing wrong, that he kept going, that he went all the way to the cross, that he laid down his life in your place? Aren't you thankful that even when he endured opposition, he pressed through. Why? For you. For me. Jesus laid down his life on a cross so that all could come to know him. Guys, you're like, Joe, well, this is really basic. Well, yeah. Most of the time, the answers to the hardest things in our life are so simple. Why can I have a perspective that fuels endurance? Why can I take the high road? Why can't I, you know, take the high road in my relationships or in this storm or the circumstances happening in my life? Because Jesus did for me. Because Jesus did for you. And for some of you, you've never experienced the, 
the grace and the joy that comes from being forgiven. And so you don't even know what that looks like yet. And I would just encourage you today to consider the fact that you have a Father in heaven that loves you more than anything else. So much so that he sent his one and only son to lay down his life for you on a cross. He paid the ultimate price for your sins and mine, not because we deserved it, not because we earned it, but because his grace is just that good. And so, so many times here at church, you'll hear me say that we need to make what Jesus did on the cross the central motivating factor of our life. And this is it. Because when we make that the central motivating factor of our life, and then we go through circumstances that are tough, or we find ourselves in relational drama that is just overwhelming our thoughts, we remember that even in times like that, Jesus took the high road. And we remember that there are people that have gone before us like Paul, that even when they were in prison, they still rejoiced, they still preached the gospel, they still stayed faithful. And you can too, you can too. Verse 20 through 26. For I fully expect and hope that I will never be ashamed, but that I will continue to be bold for Christ as I have been in the past. And I trust that my life will bring honor to Christ whether I live or die. For to me, living means living for Christ. And dying is even better. At first glance, you might say, what in the world is he talking about? Is he suicidal? What what is going on here? Right? Let's, Let's keep reading. But if I live... I can do more fruitful work for Christ. So I really don't know which is better. I'm torn between two desires. I long to go and be with Christ, which would be far better for me. But for your sakes, it's better that I continue to live. Knowing this, I'm convinced that I will remain alive so I can continue to help all of you grow and experience the joy of your faith. And when I come back to you again, you will have even more reason to take pride in Christ Jesus, because of what he is doing through me. What a humbling perspective, right? And so do I see in this passage, number four, I see that a joyful life begins with the end in mind. It begins with the end in mind. Listen, you can't have joy on the journey, and you can't have a life that is full of joy if you don't know what the end looks like. If you don't know when you breathe your last breath and you cross over from death to life, whose presence you're gonna be in? Because the end, the picture of the end fuels the strength of the now. That's what we see in the life of Paul. The gospel gives me purpose to live for. He says, for, and maybe you've heard it like this, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Paul basically here is making a lifelong commitment even unto unto death that he's gonna follow Jesus, that he's gonna keep his eyes on Christ. And yet, even though he was enduring hardship and pain at that moment, he's like, hey, I'm gonna continue to endure. I'm gonna continue to go through what I'm going through so that you can experience Christ. Staying means helping people. Dying means means a joyous reunion with Christ. You might think you have other things to live for. Retirement, vacation, recognition, more money. But your hope and what gives you 
Strength in life is anchored in eternity. And anything you're here for now, get this church, anything you're here for now is an echo of that which awaits you in eternity with Jesus. At least that's how it should be in, in our lives, right? There's something liberating about boiling life down to a solitary purpose. Boil it down to a solitary purpose, quieting all the other noises in life and declaring what you're here for. So I just challenge you today. Have you done it? Have you done that yet in your life? Have you boiled it all down to a solitary purpose? Not the friends, not what you can get, not just, you know, not just a great family. All those things are good. The Bible says that he, everything he's given to us, he's given to us for our enjoyment. And so it's not a bad thing to enjoy the life God has given you. But that's not why you're here, ultimately. You're here to bring glory and honor to Christ. You're here to fulfill the mission that he's given you. That's what you're here for. So have you boiled your life down to a solitary purpose or are you chasing everything else still? Verse 27 through 30, let's bring this plane in for landing today. Above all, you must live as citizens of heaven, conducting yourselves in a manner worthy of the good news about Christ. Then whether I come and see you again or only hear about you, I will know that you are standing together with one purpose, with one spirit and one purpose, fighting together for the faith, which is the good news. Don't be intimidated in any way by your enemies. This will be a sign to them that they're gonna be destroyed, but that you are gonna be saved, even by God himself. For you have been given not only the privilege of trusting in Christ, but also the privilege of suffering for him. Underline that. You've not only been given the privilege of trusting in Christ, which is amazing, right? Aren't you glad you have Christ? But then it turns, we've also been given the privilege of suffering for him. We are in this struggle together. Everybody say together. You have seen my struggle in the past and you know that I'm still in the midst of it. Wow. And so number five, last thing today, a joyful life counts it a privilege to suffer for Christ. Sometimes we look at our life and we're like, Joe, I don't know that I'm suffering for Christ, but I'm just suffering. <laughs> Somebody ever feel like that? It's like, I'm not, I'm not in this boat because of what I'm doing for Christ. I'm just, I'm just on hard times. You know, things are just falling apart in my life. And let me just challenge you that when you suffer is one of the, one of the biggest times in life that you have to reflect Christ. How many of you know it's easy to be all joyful about Christ and tell our friends about Christ and everything's going good. You know, it's like, oh, you just got a new car. Oh, Jesus, help me get this new car. Look at it. It's amazing. Bless God. Or you, you're, you're single and you find a spouse and you're like, praise the Lord. God provided. God's amazing. Or you get a new job and you're like, look what Jesus did. I got a new job. Look, everybody, man, I'm making more money than I've ever made in my life. It's easy to praise God in those times. But when the world watches you suffer, when you fall in hard times, when your relationships are on the rocks, when things don't work out like you thought, or when you are legitimately suffering for the cause of Christ, 
Maybe you spoke up about Christ and, or maybe you stood for godly values in some, in some area of your life. And because of your stand for Christ, people are now treating you differently. They're slandering you. They're saying things that aren't true about you. These times when you're suffering are times to reflect Christ. We talked about this last week, being citizens of heaven. That only naturally means that sometimes we'll be counterculture to the citizens of earth, right? We'll be living according to a different set of values. We'll, we'll have beliefs and stances that don't make sense to people whose minds and hearts haven't been renewed by Christ. And opposition to this and suffering in this regard comes on two fronts. One is our personal flesh. Sometimes the process of bringing our behavior into submission to Christ can be really hard, and it feels like suffering. Has anybody ever been there? That you're trying to quit something, you're trying to run away from something, you're trying to, you know, stop that addiction or, or, or stop the gossip or stop the thing that you used to do, and it is hard. And it almost feels like suffering. Hey, you're bringing your life into submission to Christ. It can be hard. The other is outside opposition. Maybe from friends or coworkers or random people on the internet. <laughs> and we're worried about what they think and because it's no fun to be in conflict. Sometimes we even put ourselves in the crosshairs unnecessarily. We've got big mouths. Anybody have big mouth disease in here? Come on, right? And sometimes... We have the opportunity in conversation to lovingly voice our beliefs and use our influence for Christ. And so however we are suffering for Christ, whether it's from our own flesh or whether it's outside opposition or whether we're just flat out suffering, in all these instances, it's a privilege to do whatever we have to do to follow Jesus. And when you make that choice that, God, I'm going to follow you even when it's hard. God, I'm going to follow you when my flesh says otherwise. I'm going to follow you even when other people don't get it. When people make fun of me, when people speak ill about me behind my back. I'm going to follow you, Jesus. Right? you got to remember that we're in this fight together. That's why you need the church. That's why you need people in your life that are encouraging and you, building you up. You gotta remember that God put us together. So take joy in it. God's working in you and he's not gonna stop working in you until he's completed what he's, he set out to do. You gotta trade your sorrow for joy. Trade it. Find your joy in the community of believers, in the shared mission that we have. Find your joy in the pursuit of endurance in the pursuit of the eternal life that God has given you, and in, the, in counting it a privilege to suffer for Christ. Amen? Trade in your old life today for a new purpose. For a new purpose. Man, when we talked about, when, when you heard today was going to be about being joyful, you're like, ooh, come on, this is going to be awesome. And it is, church. I can unequivocally say after 20 years of leading as a pastor and many, many years before that of serving Jesus, that there's no place I'd rather be. 
There's no place I'd rather be than in a relationship with Jesus where my future is secured. I've got joy for the present. I've got a purpose and a reason to live. All because Jesus died for me and rose again on the third day. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us for today's message. We look forward to having you back next week.